0: Okay. Um, We're trying something new here um, with the recording, so hopefully this works. Um, uh, Okay. So um, this is our continuing reading uh, of Simondon's uh, Individuation in Light of Notions of Form and Information, Volume Two, Um, and um, we're we're on the text uh, history of the notion of of the individual um, that we uh, have been reading for the last couple months, uh, and. Um so we, we had some recording issues and we already went through the the recap, so I won't do that again. But um we're starting from page five twenty uh uh in the PDF and we're on Saint Augustine. Um so uh I'll just uh, get right, right into it. Um I'll read the first page or so. Uh actually I think it's a short section if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, St. Augustine. <laughs> St. Augustine boldly expresses the idea that the mediator is mediator not because he is the word, but because he is man, is made man, quote, Christ died but once, unquote. St. Augustine refuses the stoic's expulsion of all the passions from the human being. Desire, fear, sadness can come from the love of the good and from charity and are not vices in themselves. Self-knowledge is the knowledge of a fact and not of an essence, as asserted in the treatise On the Trinity, where St. Augustine says that we know through an internal science that we are and that we live. Here, unlike in Plotinus, to know oneself is no longer to know the universe of realities, but to feel oneself live and exist. The feature that strikes St. Augustine is not so much some intrinsic property of intelligible things, but the independence of truths that we conceive with respect to individual minds. The reality of the individual was posited from the start. The conception of the individual in reflexive thought was able to be conditioned by the modi, vivendi, and social relations of the thinkers themselves. In this sense, what must be studied is the psychosocial unity formed by the thinker and his public, Two general types of organization of the dynamics of this relation can be distinguished as the extreme terms between which every mixed type can be interspersed. The closed and therefore homogeneous public and the open public, which is consequently heterogeneous with respect to the author. However, in ages when intellectual life is emphasized particularly, since intellectual elaboration involves a certain specialization, it is natural that the public is vast, open, and heterogeneous with respect to the author. The relation of the author to the public is consequently didactic and exoteric. This reflection corresponds to a meditation on the world, to a link with the object, and to a more theoretical than practical preoccupation. Conversely, in ages when preoccupation with spiritual life and personal salvation take precedence over intellectual life and knowledge of the world, the communal gathering of subjects who seek to work together towards salvation and purify themselves involves an esoteric position of the problem of the individual. At the twilight of the ancient world, the universal need for a practical search and for the meditation on personal salvation is indicated by the existence of a multitude of spiritual conventicles, like that of the Therapeutae of Lake Mariotis and that uh, uh, that of a countless number of Pythagorean, Hermetic, Platonic communities. The monasteries of Western Christianity have an analogous structure and provide fairly similar conditions for the development of thought. At this time, philosophical problems are posed in accordance with man's destiny, such as Christianity conceives it. The intelligence does not assert the autonomy of its methods and problems. The emotive, affective, voluntary aspects of life have as much importance as properly intellectual representation. Furthermore, the relation to the world of the public is a relation to the homogeneous and to the limited. There is somewhat of an identity of the world and the public, of the object and society. The unique relation to the world consequently becomes a relation to matter, and this world becomes foreign to the individual enveloped in a limited society that is for him principle and end, subject and object symbolized by a single substance. Um, so yeah, this this bit actually in the French text, the you know, just a, sort of a, a typographical difference here. So in the French text, um, we just have St. Augustine as one paragraph, and then there's a, a line break, and then the next bit is a, a separate section. Um, so there's more sort of general reflections um, are separated from the uh, section on Saint Augustine, but uh in the translation it doesn't sort of come through in the same way um so yeah so the 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 more general stuff in the the uh, what is this the second and third paragraphs here are are separate from the first paragraph on Saint augustine um but uh we'll see more on Saint Augustine as we continue with today's reading because um he is sort of known as um one of the defenders of orthodoxy uh against um the various heresies that appear in uh sort of the late roman early christian era um but what we have here is uh, a different um depiction of what self-knowledge consists in uh compared to uh the sort of greek hellenistic um doctrine and especially the neoplatonist doctrine which has um which considers the soul to be something that can know itself because the soul is itself something intelligible. Uh, So the soul has uh, the property of being something that is capable of being known uh, and, and known through the intellect. Um, Whereas uh, for St. Augustine um, the, the intellect is only sort of one aspect of the soul and not necessarily the most important one Uh, and self-knowledge is knowledge not of um, the the soul as something intelligible but um, it's a a sort of self-presentation or um, self-appearance of uh, a living entity that we are Uh, so we we know ourselves insofar as we are alive and um, uh, not insofar as we are intelligible Um, and and so because of this um, we we also can't necessarily uh, sort of separate the passions from the intellect in the way that, um, the Stoics, for example, wanted to do. Uh, so we can't say that the passions are, um, sort of, uh, inherently negative properties of a, a human being. Uh, so the passions can also be part of what, um, what can be related to our, um, our relation to God. So you can, um, uh, you can have fear and sadness and desire and etc. from, from, uh, uh, uh connection to god and um those those passions can be the results of some sort of relation to god uh and so they aren't necessarily negative uh, for saint augustine uh and then we have the more general philosophical uh or sort of um sociological uh historical account of uh philosophy in in relation to its public um so philosophy is always of course um directed towards a certain public whether it's uh, an individual reader or a small group or um, humanity as a whole, there's always some sort of uh, idea in the for the writer of who should be the the audience for this uh, philosophical text. Uh, and here Simondon distinguishes between two sort of um, uh, endpoints for for the what this audience can consist of. Uh, so it can ad- either be uh, a closed group, uh, a small closed uh, circle of of readers, um, uh, on the one hand, or it can be um, sort of a, an open public, um, uh, which eventually could coincide with humanity as a whole. On the other hand, uh, and he suggests that there's um, a sort of reciprocal relationship between um, between these two extreme terms, uh, and and so uh, when you have um, um, an an era where the intellectual um, sort of preoccupation is with the relationship with the world. So what what the the scholar is primarily interested in is knowing the world. In that type of era, then research about the individual uh, necessarily takes the form of uh, writing that is directed towards a small group, uh, a closed group. Whereas, on the other hand, when you have an era that is more interested in the individual, then uh, writing about the individual will take on uh, this more public character and so it's not directed towards uh, a small group uh, and and we can see the uh, the Christian era, the beginning of the Christian era as a sort of transition from uh, the Hellenistic era where knowledge of the world was more important to um, an era where knowledge of the individual is is held to be more important uh, and and so it's um, in Christianity we see the the doctrine of the individual become something that's not just directed to uh, a closed um, group of readers but is sort of directed to the world as a whole and uh, uh, an open public okay so let 's go on to the next section if someone else would like to read. I can
1: read the heresies. <coughs> Eastern heresies. One of the first signs of the existence of these communitarian conditions of reflexive thought is the reaction of Christian thought against the Eastern heresies, relative either to the question of the Trinity or to the Christological question. What they both fundamentally have in common is a change in the paradigm of individuality applied to the conception that divinity can be made man. In Sibelius and the modalists, the word is not considered the son of God for fear of falling into polytheism. In the same spirit, uh, Arius only accepts the son of God as person on condition of making him a creature of God. These two thoughts highlight a common preoccupation, to safeguard the intellectual purity of the representation of God that has been formulated, and therefore to elucidate the mysterious nature of the Trinitary dogma by thinking divine reality as an individual, identitarian unity, uh, not as a reality that can be grasped merely through the categories of participation, thereby rejecting the principle of the excluded middle. This refusal of the principle of the excluded middle is palpable in the formula that Athanasius in the Council of Nicaea opposed to, Ari- to Arius. The unity of substance in God does not exclude the diversity of persons. This logically supposes that two incompatible structures are simultaneously existent in the divine being. These are the same formulas with which uh, Cyril of Alexandria. In the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD condemned Nestorius. The duality of human and divine nations in Christ does not prevent Mary from being Theotokos, the mother of God. Lastly, these are the same reasons why the school of Antioch was considered heretical even before Nestorius, because it refused to see in Jesus Christ anything other than a man filled with the grace of divinity, and because it avoided the metaphysical God-man combinations that require the category of participation and the refusal of the principle of excluded middle. Here, theocentrism is the mark of an inspiration that conforms with neoplat- Neoplatonic thought, seeking to determine the intelligible structure of things by remaining faithful to the principle of identity. Western heresies. The Western heresies, Pelagianism in particular, also manifest this defiance against participation. This doctrine denies the hereditary transmission of original sin, the justification of man by the merits of Christ taking as victim, in the importance of the means of grace and the sacraments of the church, and the sacraments that the church makes available to the faithful, Saint Augustine opposes the efficacious reality of the church to this thought. Uh, grace is what establishes this necessary participation. Good can come; the good can come to the soul only from a special grace. Salvation only belongs to those who are predestined by God for all eternity. Unbaptized dead infants are damned. Gentiles who have not been touched by the grace of Christ have never attained virtue. The church is the necessary institution for the dispensation of divine graces, i.e. for the maintenance of participation between divinity and humanity. Donatism is critiqued in the same spirit. According to St. Augustine, who also fought against this heresy, the value of a sacrament should not depend on the individual purity or impurity of the priest who, who bestows it. Formalism of the sacrament is what establishes participation not the individual reality of the priest. Under these conditions, uh, it is inevitable that man cannot be transparent to himself in his individual reality. The possession of spiritual power does not provide intellectual penetration. In his work on the soul and its origin, St. Augustine protests against those who believe that man, quote, can discuss his own quality or nature as a whole, as if none of himself eluded him, unquote. This is why St. Augustine, concerning the controversy Over the origin of the soul hesitates without concluding between traducianism, which derives our soul from that of our parents, and creationism, which makes the soul into a creature, ex nihilo. The doctrine of St. Augustine, therefore, aims aims in particular at establishing the reality of participation through the Church. His thought conforms with the doctrine of participation. The story of his conversion shows that individual unity is not as strong as commencing participation. Conversion is like a struggle between individual unity and the force of participation. The old man is the singular man according to a thought. that conforms with the principle of excluded middle. Man at the moment of conversion is a divided being in which a struggle arises between the part that is still purely individual and the part that already participates. After having vanquished the other part and detaching from it, this part that participates becomes the whole again. At that time, the world to which the old man was attached is no longer... Is no longer but new guy, new Toy of toys. There is a profound difference in structure between the man before conversion and the converted man. The former subsists, the latter participates. In the Eastern heresy section, this association of the principle of identity with, or I guess the opposition of the principle of identity with principle of identity to the notion of participation is, if I'm understanding that right, is is interesting. So it's these. These heresies that say basically that God can't be three, God can't be more than one thing and also a unity, um, versus the what becomes the orthodox position that there is both, you know, that there's this unity in the Trinity or the Trinity in unity. Um, then it seems like participation is used in a different sense in the section on the Western heresies, where there's this the individual can sort of have it access to grace through participation via the church but but only through like the formal aspects of, of the church so that it doesn't matter if, the, if it's a good priest for instance
0: yeah the um i mean this is not something that i know uh in a lot of detail but um a lot of the controversies uh within the church in the early um christian era so like uh fifth century uh to i guess seventh or eighth century. um had to do with um, these uh, sort of apparent contradictions in Christian doctrine. Um, so in particular, in relation to the Trinity and uh, the the nature of Christ. Um, so there's, um, yeah, so the Orthodox, what, what became the Orthodox doctrine is that um, uh, God is both three and one uh, at the same time. So one, one subs, three persons in one substance, uh, um and so many of these um w- what were later um characterized as heresies many of these schools of thought um held that uh, either the three or the one side had to be sort of given up or or um reduced in importance um so you either conceive god as like this singular unity uh and then um the son uh the son of god is a, a created being with uh, a sort of lesser status than god himself uh that's the the arian doctrine um and uh, uh or you can conceive of um uh the threeness as being primary um and and so there's like three three gods uh, essentially um uh and that would be a um a different kind of heresy um but uh and then the other sort of topic of controversy was the nature of Christ um as both God and man. Uh um and so again, there's a, a sort of contradiction um in the Orthodox doctrine, um, or at least um as Simon Don puts it here, this uh, uh participation that, that goes beyond the law of excluded middle. Um uh and then various um heretical traditions either um held that Christ was uh, a human being who uh, received divine grace or or something along those lines, or held that um, Christ was uh, divine and uh, only sort of took on a human form or human appearance. Um, But the the Orthodox doctrine um, rejects both of those alternatives and holds on to this idea of uh, Christ as both human and divine uh, at the same time. Uh, fully human and fully divine um, and so these this, these are sort of the the topics of of controversy in the early christian era uh, and um what what Simon dong sort of um takes to be noteworthy here uh especially in in Augustine's um opposition to to these heresies is uh this notion of participation that um that Extends beyond the law of excluded middle, um, and so that allows for uh, an entity to uh, participate in contradictory qualities or contradictory properties. Uh, and um, then in the the section on the Western heresies, um, so these ones are are not related to the the Trinity or the nature of Christ, um, but so the uh, Pelagian heresy held that, uh, there's no such thing as original sin. Um, so, uh, uh, infants are born without sin. Uh, and, um, so it's only through free will that humans, um, are, uh, affected by sins or, or, or sorry, sorry, that, um, it's only through, uh, free will that human beings, uh, uh, sort of descend into sin and, uh, so you can, you can sort of hold individuals responsible for the sins that they commit, but there's no such thing as original sin that inheres in uh, humans independently of what actions they perform. Uh, and then the uh, uh, Don- Donatist doctrine uh, held that um, the sacraments of the church were not effective unless the priests who performed them uh, lived a, a, a sort of um, uh, blameless life uh and so if, if the priest was a sinner uh then the sacraments were not effective so marriage or um baptism or whatever other rites were not um uh, were not sort of performed properly or or didn't have efficacy uh if the priest was not um morally blameless uh and saint augustine um rejects both of these doctrines and he holds that uh it's only through the church that there is salvation um but it's uh it's through the church as a whole or as a an institution as opposed to um through the individual priest as a member of the church that that you receive salvation uh, so um one of this is that um uh, uh infants who die before baptism uh are damned uh as simondon uh points out here so there's no um there's no such thing as um uh, or because of the original sin uh they're they're born as sinners and it's only through baptism and uh integration into the church that they can be saved so um that's a particularly harsh uh doctrine um and we also have um this notion that um um what, what someone don't hear calls the formalism of the sacrament so it's it's not the the priest as an individual uh who lives a morally blameless life? Who has the capacity to perform sacraments? It's the church as a whole, as a as an institution, or as a sort of descendant of the apostolic uh, tradition that has this capacity to perform sacraments. And uh, the priest is just sort of a um, an officer of the church.
1: I, I don't know enough about the you know like church history to to say for sure, but it it seems like there you know there would be some continuity between this rejection of donatism at this stage this early stage and, and then the issues that lead to the protestant revolution later on uh because a lot of you know a lot of the protestant objections to the catholic church had to do with um like very bad problems with corruption and and uh officers of the church
0: yeah you can see that um this um augustinian theory that that the church is um or or doctrine um that the church is uh, sort of uh, a whole and uh, has to be treated as a, a whole as opposed to um having any sort of individual mediation by the priest um you can see how this doctrine can lead to um uh, an account or or a, a sort of acceptance of um a, a sort of morally blameworthy um action on the part of the priest uh so if if like on the other hand if you like in a Donatist doctrine you have a very high standard of behavior for the priest uh because if they are not morally blameless then they're not actually um they, they effectively are not priests anymore because they can't perform the sacraments uh and um on the other hand if you allow for the effectiveness of the sacraments uh even when the priest is morally blameworthy then you are sort of opening the door for um uh yeah for uh corruption or um various kinds of morally blameworthy behavior um by the priest uh and and this is doesn't sort of um affect the the status of the church uh and so you can see how this can lead to um, dissatisfaction among uh, uh, members of the church if they um, perceive that the the priests um, and the uh, the church officials are are not um, living a, a, a life in accordance with what the the doctrines that they preach, uh, the moral doctrines that they preach. Um, and so yeah, this this type of contradiction. Was one of the big motivations for um, the Reformation. Uh, like I guess about nine hundred years later.
2: Uh, uh, recently I'm I'm reading like a Spinoza's ethics. Um, kind of like a, of course like a Spinoz Spinoza's ethics is definitely comes after after this um traditional Christianity and so on and so on. But uh, while re- while listening to this part, I just uh, thought of the. The idea of like, uh, how it is connected to the Plato's, like, you know, the, uh, soul and body is one, and then Spinoza and, um, substance, and then like, uh, Christian, Christ, uh, Jesus as uh, like, a representation of the God, like, a, actually, corporeal representation of God, uh, and so on and so on. Like, I think that there are some kind of interesting points hidden as far as I understand. For example, Last time I thought the God uh, like uh, uh, God, uh, I mean God substance like uh, includes uh, all attributes. I mean individuals attributes as a part of the whole. But my my colleague uh, criticized that. I think God is a, uh, I mean God as just a human corporeal body. So, but like by reading this one, I think that's I don't know that's possible because like some. Some some people long time ago would think that way would have thought that way as well. Sorry, like it sounds kind of a little bit like a vague and kind of like an abstract. But that, um, what, my point is that like how this part, I mean the the um connected to the Plato's philosophy, and then later uh, on like a Spinozite, maybe like a, maybe influenced by this kind of ideas, and then developed to the uh, it's been his own kind of uh, philosophy about the relations, like uh, between individual human beings and God, God, and then substance and attribute and mode, modification, everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's um. We'll see in uh, a few pages. Um, we'll see. Uh, I think we should get to that point today. Um, uh, Saint Anselm. Um, he is probably the first, uh, or uh, to my knowledge, he's the first to um, express. Uh, explicitly this idea that god contains all perfections uh and so he has the famous ontological argument to say that um for the existence of god uh so if if, um uh if god contains uh or if we if we define god if, if the concept of god is the the most perfect being or or that than which nothing greater can be thought um then uh if god existed only in the intellect if if god didn't have actual existence uh um outside the intellect then we could conceive of a being um uh, like god uh except also existing uh outside the intellect uh and that would be a greater perfection um uh and so um there's a contradiction in asserting that we think of god as the being that has all perfections and then uh also thinking that um God might not exist. So uh, we have to conclude that that if God is uh, the being that contains all perfections, then God necessarily exists. Uh, And this ontological doctrine, ontological argument for um, the existence of God is is definitely one of the key ideas that Spinoza um, develops in the ethics uh, in his account of God, which, of course, is very different than the Christian one, because God is the one substance of which everything else is a a mode um, um but but yeah so there there's definitely a, a line of influence from um this Christian philosophy and this notion of the of God as um containing all perfections to Spinoza's uh concept of God uh as the one substance but there's also a a a big um transformation that that this concept undergoes in that uh in that development as well,
2: so it's not really bizarre, like to think God as uh, some kind of—I mean, you could God can be represented as a corporeal being, like Jesus—is this too too much or too bizarre to think that way? Um,
0: I, right. Yeah. So that, that was um, uh, one of the sort of central uh, points of dispute in the early church—is um, mm. you know exactly what uh relation there is between or or what, how how can we understand Christ as being both uh a fully human being with you know a body and uh uh every every sort of attribute of a human being uh and then on the other hand also being god um being you know god the son uh part of the trinity and and you know having every attribute of, of uh divinity uh and So the Orthodox doctrine holds that both of these are true at the same time, uh, that that there's a sort of um, uh, dual nature of Christ um, uh, in the sense that uh, he's fully human and fully divine at the same time. Uh, And then um, some of the different heretical doctrines um, either held that Christ was just a human being who received um, some sort of blessing or or grace or um, mission or whatever from God. Uh, or on the other hand they held that Christ was a divine being who just appeared in human form uh and so they they sort of sacrificed one side of this opposition to the other um, uh and and yeah so the the orthodox doctrine has to sort of go beyond the law of excluded middle uh and hold that these two that Christ can participate in both um Divinity and humanity at the same time, even though these are contradictory qualities.
2: Wow, thank you. Um, sorry. So, so um, another question: Can I? Can I? Like, uh, there, somewhere, I can't. I can't really like a, uh, point out like at the part. But uh, as far as I understand, like, uh, at some point, we don't have to think about knowledge. Like, we don't have to uh, be a uh, epistemological, uh, uh. Instead of that, we the better ontological. Like we can just feel. Uh when um, Angus read, red. I I thought like, that. Uh, it's somewhere, somewhere in the po- pot. Angus read, red. But the um, so that means like uh, we can just like uh, instead of like uh, trying to be the the knowledgeable about everything, we just like uh, what does it mean by the feel here? Uh, i I need to find out the exact spot, the exact part, but. Anybody who 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 is with me with me like uh
0: um, yeah i think i i know the part you're referring to so that that was in the section on augustine at the beginning of the oh day yeah day. yeah
2: sorry sorry yeah,
0: oh, yeah so yeah. so for augustine um our our knowledge of ourselves is um is not an intellectual knowledge uh as as it is in neoplatonism uh so it's not that so in neoplatonism there's this doctrine that we know the soul knows itself because uh the soul has the property of being something intelligible, something that uh, can be grasped by the intellect. Um, whereas Saint Augustine will hold instead that we know ourselves as uh, as living beings, so as beings that that have a, a life, uh, and this life con- includes the intellect, but also uh, various passions, and uh, and so the soul, um, and the soul doesn't have a sort of um, transparency to itself so there are there are aspects of our soul that we are not aware of um that only god God knows that we um uh we we only have sort of a limited access to our own soul and uh we know ourselves as living beings that um have passions and desires and so on and not just as intellectual beings uh and yeah so this is um augustine's doctrine against uh the stoics or against. Hellenistic philosophy in general.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, But let's uh, let's move on to the next section. Um, um, Ali, maybe you'd like to read uh, the next bit.
2: Sure, sure. Cassiodorus. This duality of conceiving the human individual is prominent in Cassiodorus, who, in his treatise on the soul, opposes the proof proofs of the immortality of the soul according to secular letters and those based on the political political authorities. The first proofs, which are in particular drawn uh, from the Fado, by way of the discussions contained in the works of St. Augustine and Claudianus Marmortus, define the soul as a simple substance, a natural form, different from the matter of its body. The soul is thus defined here by itself as individually isolated, Conversely, according to the proofs derived from the vertical teachers, ver- veridical, veridical teachers, the spirituality of the soul derives from its relation of participation in divine reality. The soul is made in the image of God. Cassiodorus considers these proofs that utilize the relation of participation as specifically Christian and superior to the proofs of the Pheto. Fedi- in the spiritual city of St. Augustine, wants to establish the moral life of the individual is participation in the established order. The very relations established between the different sciences and knowledges that form the content of the spiritual city conform with this structure of participation. The trivium and the quadri- uh, quadrivium find their justification in their usefulness for the study of the pure divine sciences. The science no longer have their individuality or the, uh, their speci- specialty. They are totalized in an encyclopedic form that is indispensable for liturgy and ecclesiastical ecclesi- competence. Comfort- they are limited by the relation of participation that integrates them functionally into the coffers of the sciences. They lose their power of self-cre- self-creative discovery and no longer have the goal of promoting themselves, participation suppresses the internal finality and power of indefinite growth of each individualized, individualized reality, such as the role of the encyclopedias that were written at the time and that constitutes something like cities of the sciences. To subjugate the knowledges inherited from the pagan antiquity to the church. The relation of participation, which it deploys itself starting from the active center of revelation, reveli- revelation extends up to the ancient doctrines, turns them toward if by depriving them of their auto- autonomy. This conversion is uh, practiced by Isidore, the Archbishop of Seville, in his etymologist, and by B. the, the Venerable, in his the Natura uh, uh, Rerum, Rerum, which was inspired by its door and augmented by frequent reminiscences of Pliny the Elder. Refusing citizens' rights to individual opinion, the same relation of participation appears on a particularly crucial ground, that of the criteria to be employed for discerning truth in matters of faith. The set of rules is exposited exposit- by Vincent de to the communitorium in A.D. 354. The opinion of the majority must be given pre, uh, preferential treatment from the start by distressing private opinions. In the same way, the opinion of the ancient must be followed urgently if these two methods make room for error. The decision of ecumenical council must intervene. Short of this, the search for the opinion shared by all author, orthodox mas- masters in football, The tradition grows by way of development and clarification, for example, such that the new participates with the old old continuously and never by way of addition or innovation, which would disrupt the continuity necessary for participation. The only mediation invoked in these different examples is consequently that of participation, of continuous participation. The mediation proper to philosophical thought, which calls for inven- invention, not participation, through continuity for creation, that simple development, cannot be suitable for just eccles- ecclesiastic thought. Enough? Uh,
0: yes, let's stop there. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, yes, yeah, so Cassiodorus, um, yeah, as Angus has posted in the chat here, he's, he's maybe not a very sympathetic thinker for uh, modern. Uh, authors or modern um readers. Um, so he um he holds that um he, he first makes this distinction um on proofs of the immortality of the soul um between the the proofs that come from secular authors or pagan authors like Plato um and the proofs that come from what he calls here the veridical authorities or um the, the church authorities. So, he, so in the in Plato's Phaedo, there are arguments that show the, that the soul is immortal. Um, and Cassiodorus holds these arguments not to be um, not to be um, uh, truly uh, not to truly give us the nature of the soul. Uh, and it's only in Christian writers who um, who derive the immortality of the soul from from God and from the divine origin of the soul. Uh, it's only in these proofs that we truly grasp the immortality of the soul in uh in its in its reality um and so as a sort of consequence of this is that um we have uh a subordination of uh secular knowledge to the church so the the seven liberal arts uh the trivium and the quadrivium uh these are useful in as they um contribute to the development of the church. Um, so like music is uh, you should study music so that you can uh, perform the church liturgy properly. Um, but they don't have a sort of inherent value and they, they don't have a, an autonomy like they did in uh, the pre-Christian era. Uh, and so developing music or geometry or whatever for its own sake is not something that has um, any any in uh, any value it's only insofar as you are um, studying music and geometry for the sake of the church that that those studies have any value um, and we see um, so in this era in this sort of early or yeah early Christian era we find um, these encyclopedias that authors write so they they sort of gather together um, all of the knowledge that they uh, have available to them from the uh, pagan world uh, and um, put it together into these encyclopedias or compendiums uh, that, that uh, contain all of the knowledge on a particular topic that is available. But um, a lot of these authors are, are not original in the sense that they don't, um, they don't develop geometry or astronomy or whatever. They just um, collect the information that's already available. Uh, for the youth of the church, uh,
1: this idea of the uh, the refusal of the right to individual opinion, and you know, together with the subordination of the sciences to um, you know the, the life of the church, it's sort of like the the opposite of what Simon Dunham, um, uh valorizes in that discussion on the, the technical the technician uh, earlier in Volume Two. Sort of forecloses the possibility of having this independent and non communally mediated access to the object of, of scientific or i guess also philosophical inquiry
0: yeah, I think that's right um so for just as a reminder for for any listeners who who don't remember that passage so in in one of the, near the beginning of this text on the history of the notion of the individual, Simon don argues that um the sort of beginnings of philosophy in uh, the pre-Socratic philosophers. Um, It has to do with the the role of these people um, as uh, technicians, uh, as people that had um, this technical knowledge that uh, doesn't rely on um, sort of valorization or approval or um, endorsement by the community. Uh, So like Thales... um, uses his astronomical knowledge to predict the olive harvests and make a fortune. Um, and, uh, uh, so this, this, um, technical knowledge is the the sort of basis for the development of philosophical doctrines as, um, sort of independent from religious, uh, thought that exists only in the communal form. Um, and, and so we see here, um, a complete reversal of that um, sort of approach to knowledge. So the individual only uh, only has knowledge insofar as that knowledge contributes towards the the church as a communal institution. Um, and there's no sense in which the individual should um, should sort of advance knowledge or advance their studies uh, for their own sake or for the sake of um, gaining access to the world independently of any communal institutions. Uh, and, yeah, so it's completely subordinated to the, the community.
2: Actually, I think this, like, this this reading is really amazing, like, because uh, by reading this, I mean, the thinkers' um, ideas, like, uh, definitely helpful to understand and, like, uh, as I told you before, like, a uh, Spinoza ideas, too. Because uh, as Angus said, like, uh, uh in in spinogen ideas like extension is uh, as far as I understand, that's important, like attributes um individual as far as understanding individual as an attribute of substance. Um extension is like uh, available, but here the um, the ideas is limited and then uh, it is upward to the, the the sign of system. So uh but Actually, Kassidu also has his own logic, actually, because in the first part of my reading, um, soul is like, uh, the prioritized, and that's kind of like the symbol of God. Then we individuals needed to follow the, 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 the God itself. So in order to do that, they needed some kind of system, systemized, some hierarchical system, and then, that kind of makes sense. Like uh, in his time, but at the end of the day, like, like it also suppresses like the development of the creativity or, g- 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 I mean, the the creative creating some kind of the free individuals at the same time. That's that's why Spinoza is like a rebellious, right? Like a revolutionary at his time, like because he had to be against this kind of dominant ideas then.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um like Spinoza um explicitly defends freedom of thought um as uh, for the individual as one of the the key principles for the stability of a state um and and for the um so a state that tries to um that tries to legislate what people are allowed to think or say or write um will uh will ultimately, will inevitably um contradict what some people think. So some people will always think differently than what the state wants them to think. Um, and and so those people will be dissatisfied with the state and will be um likely to want to overthrow the state. And uh and so the state that tries to um restrict what people think will um will be in an, an unstable state and and will lead to um turmoil and uh, instability of, of various kinds. Um, And so for Spinoza, um, uh, the individual freedom of individuals to think what they want and to express their thoughts um, is is one of the sort of key principles of uh, protecting the state. Um, And uh, so this is obviously completely opposed to um, Cassiodorus's doctrine, according to which um, the individual has to subordinate their um, their studies to the church um and uh yeah, so I think you're right to say that th- this is one aspect where Spinoza is definitely a a revolutionary uh in in opposing uh any sort of um uh, uh, communal um veto power over what people are allowed to think
2: oh thank you uh one more one more thing I think a bit a, bit of a small question is like is that uh related to coming I mean, for example Cassidoro's ideas is related to the political situation like at the time something
0: like that yeah that's a good question um i am not like i'm not that familiar with his uh his sort of circumstances of of what the political situation is at the time of writing but um i think we can also connect this with um some of the uh divisions within the church at the time uh like in the early christian era um so there's um, multiple different so there's uh yeah multiple different uh, uh positions within the church that are all competing to be recognized as the orthodox position uh and we have these church uh councils where they um condemn certain doctrines as heretical uh and uh so this obviously makes um intellectual inquiry very high stakes um so like holding the wrong doctrine about the nature of Christ or the nature of the Trinity could mean exclusion from society, uh, and, um, excommunication. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, I think this may have something to do with, uh, this doctrine of, uh, rejecting individual inquiry, um, as a, a sort of way of preventing these kind of divisions within the church. Okay. Thanks. Uh, okay. So let's go on to St. Anselm, um, read that section, uh, St. Anselm. It is nevertheless appropriate to note just how much the very method of participation can be taken in different senses. <clears throat> there is no common measure between participation in divine reality through revelation and writings, and participation on the basis of St. Anselm's Essay in Intellectu being in the understanding. In St. Anselm, the Essay in Intellectu can lead us to God because the understanding is already a mediation between faith and the beatific vision of the chosen ones. We then pass from the Per-Aliud, through something else, to the per se, through itself. There is still participation, but this participation is a relation that goes in a direction opposite to the habitual sense. In discovery, thought is directed from the part that participates to the being, which is the object of participation. The fool who says there is no God possesses in his understanding the notion of God, and what he comprehends is in his understanding, even if he does not comprehend that this thing exists. When saint Anselm goes from essay in intellectu to essay per se, He does not go from the concept to the real thing, but from partial reality to complete reality. There is no change of modality in the judgments that explain his reasoning. Thought always moves toward the affirmation of reality. and assuredly that than which nothing greater can be conceived cannot exist in the understanding alone. For suppose it exists in the understanding alone, then it can be conceived to exist in reality which is greater. Therefore, if that than which nothing greater can be conceived exists in the understanding alone the very being than which nothing greater can be conceived is one than which a greater can be conceived, unquote. This path of participation going from the part to the whole and not from the whole to the letter of its degraded expression sometimes appears in St. Augustine, quote, for never yet was nor will be a soul able to conceive of anything better than you, and if you were not incorruptible, I could in my thoughts have reached unto something better than my God, unquote. Negative theology proceeds along this path, Lastly, let us note that all the great rules of Christian morality are given as negative. It is is for this reason that they can claim to attain universality, for an ethics is founded by passing from the reality of a particular negative rule to the reality of the unique basis that positively founds ethics. The foundation of the Platonic dialectic is rediscovered in this path of participation through which one ascends from the conditioned back to the unconditioned that conditions it, quote, but God surely and everything that belongs to God is in every way in the best possible state, unquote. In Plato, participation can occur in two senses. It goes from the good to the ideas and from the ideas to the good. The possibility of this double movement also exists in Christian thought, since God is creator but also redeemer, Alpha and Omega, Father and Son. But two very different currents of Christian thought appeared that would be called the movement of procession and the movement of conversion. In the first, participation is established by way of a descending continuity, both through time and through the hierarchy of beings, by undergoing an ontological degradation that can only be reduced. The community consequently contributes to each new individual that which ties him to the past and connects him back to a long and solid tradition by making him participate in it. The individual is one who is always new with respect to the time of revelation. The individual is new and therefore he does not participate in a processive participation by himself. Whence the importance related to the initiatory rituals in the community. The spiritual birth of baptism is the establishment of participation through procession. The individual is therefore no longer something new. He is clothed in a new name, connected by a name to the processive community. He is purified of his novelty, which was isolation and foreign nature. Every man can baptize; for every man who participates can propagate this processive participation. In the other aspect of the Christian tradition, the movement of conversion is primordial. Consequently, participation can be established starting from the individual without the aid of the community, by way of a simultaneously interior and exterior discovery. The community still exists, but it, it is no longer sorry. But it no longer has the same meaning. It is no, not a closed circle entrusted with process of communication, but the active and creative kernel that is the overseer of the other individuals in the discovery that conversion is. The circle can be both the image of inclusion as well as the image of exclusion, of the whole as well as the part. A community can be con- cons- can be constitutive as well as constituted. The Christian can be the platonic prisoner returned from the cave, as well as the adept of the initiatory faith of a community among other closed communities. This double movement created an essential ambiguity in Christian thought, and this ambiguity is reflected in the treatment that the problem of individuality receives. The individual is the being who is capable of isolation. and This isolation itself can seem like a curse, whether it be on the symbolic level of the stray flock or on the theoretical level of the dereliction of the sinner. Isolation seems like a misfortune. In the tradition of participation through procession, the temporal isolation of the individual is a prefiguration of damnation. The excommunicated is in some sense temporally damned. To excommunicate is to deprive of participation. The temporal church, mediator of communication, isolates from it or receives into it those whom it wants to damn or save. The chosen one is not merely a just and rewarded rewarded judged being, but also a being definitively integrated into the spiritual community of the chosen ones. Generation is a degradation to the extent that it creates the individual. The temporal concerns the individual. These two aspects are prominent in St. Augustine the preoccupation that animates him against Donatism and Pelagianism, connects back to participation through procession, but his spiritual life reveals a search for participation through conversion. Saint Anselm is on the, on the path of this participation through conversion. <coughs> Gonillo of Marmoutier, on the contrary, opposes Saint Anselm in the name of authority and revelation. He defends the point of view of the incipience unreasonable introduced by Saint Anselm, the intellectus for Gaunilo will no longer play this mediating role between faith and the beatific vision that St. Anselm assigns it. However, faith as well as beatific vision are a- attitudes of participation that connect the individual back to the community of the temporal church or the triumphant church. Conversely, the intellectus is the mark and activity proper of the individual who applies his forces to knowledge and who, passing from the per aliyud to the per se, from the multiple to the one, bends from the conditioned back to the conditioning. Consequently, as we learn in the monologium, the intellectus is that which forms the unity of the individual in his search. The intellectus, in fact, starts from the, with the multiplicity of truths, which are not just truths of pronouncements, but also of opinions and of the will, of actions, right intention and right actions. The truth does not belong to judgment alone. It can be said of the will, of the senses, and of essence. Reflexive thought, which discovers truths, participates in reason, the eminent and unique reality of which truths are like various aspects. In this sense, reflexive activity guided across every ground of human existence is indeed a movement of conversion. In such a doctrine, the individual who thinks is no longer a being disinherited from the search for the mediator as a creator of a community, but a limited force who, guided well, is capable of discovering the divine. The intellectus, which is reflexivity, is not the opposite of faith. It is quirens intellectum, faith-seeking understanding, applies for all dogmas, including that of incarnation, which is consequently no longer belief in an exceptional event founded on revelation, as St. Anselm wants to establish in his Cur Deus Homo, why God is man. In this theory of conversion, everything happens as if the individual had the possibility to introduce the unpredictable initiatives of a free being, whereas the universe would be in eternal and invariable order, all in one piece. Conversely, in participation through procession, the divine drama unfolds within a discontinuous universe in which creation, sin and redemption are introduced by the unpredictable initiatives of this free being who is God participation through procession introduces the continuity of the supernatural into a discontinuous nature continuity alone comes from god on the contrary mediation through conversion supposes that the individual is stable that the universe is stable and continuous consequently the activity of the individual is efficacious the individual can start with himself for he is not foreign to the whole of being he is particular but not isolated he is already something real he can start start with the realities that are within him with the truths that contain his opinion, his right opinions, his right actions, his true judgments, and his senses, reflection is endowed with fecundity, for it is what allows passage from the multiple to the one, from the per alio to the per se. Thus, two opposed ethical and epistemological attitudes concerning the individual appear in the Christian tradition. and It does not seem at present that they have been uh, they have been able to be deeply reconciled. On the side of participation through procession, we find certain doctrines, like that of Bossuet and Joseph de Maistre. On the side of participation through conversion. We find thoughts like those of Malbranche, La Bertonnière, and Maurice Blondel. Yeah, sorry, that ended up being a longer section than I uh, anticipated. So we probably should have broken that up into two. Um, um and uh yeah, it would be nice to have um some paragraphs in this long section as opposed to just one giant block. Um but that's uh, how he writes, so um we have to live with it. Um right, so I, I Uh, went through this argument already, the ontological argument that St. Anselm gives for the um, existence of God. Um, So this argument, you know, in opposition to the way Cassiodorus sort of subordinates these rational arguments for uh, the immortality of the soul or the existence of God to um, uh, arguments from authority, from uh, from Revelation and the Church Fathers and so on. Um so in opposition to that approach, St. Anselm holds that um through reason we're capable of grasping the existence of God. And so reason has this sort of um uh or or the understanding um has this rule of a sort of mediation between faith on the one hand, so faith uh, as something that we have when we don't have knowledge, um, and then the the vision that the elect have of god um so the sort of immediate knowledge of god that um saints have uh so the understanding through which we grasp the being of god is sort of intermediate between those two uh and um so there's a a sort of participation uh through this through the intellect uh, or through the understanding so we are capable of um uh Participating in divine reality through our our understanding um and uh so there's a a certain valorization uh of the understanding here, even if it's uh, sort of enclosed within the uh Christian doctrine there's still this uh notion that the understanding uh has has uh, a sort of value of its own. Uh, and then we have this distinction that Simon Do makes between, um, between uh, these two opposed um, sort of traditions within Christianity. Um, so we have the one, on the one hand, we have um, this uh, sort of tradition of participation. Um, so it's a tradition in which uh, the individual has value or um, Reality through through its mediation with the divine, um, and and so it it um, it involves um, it involves uh, like we saw uh, with Cassiodorus this sort of subordination of the individual to the church um, as an institution, and uh, and we saw this also with Augustine. Um, so the the church as an institution um, is has the the role of preserving tradition, uh, the apostolic tradition, um, and, uh, individuals are saved by virtue of, uh, being included in the church, uh, and belonging to, um, this tradition. Uh, and so that's what the importance of, uh, baptism, uh, comes from is, is that, uh, it, it takes an individual and, and makes them part of this, uh, institution that preserves the tradition of the apostles. Um, and uh, this is, so this is the one sort of tradition within Christianity. Uh, and then there's the, the other form, the other tradition, uh, which he calls this tradition of conversion. Um, so this is one, uh, this, in this tradition, there's um, a sort of role of the individual in uh, uh, reaching the divine reality as opposed to this mediation through the church. Uh, so the individual through the act of conversion um, sort of uh, discovers God within themselves, but also uh, outside of themselves. Uh, so the individual has the capacity to reach um, this sort of grasp of, of God um, without going through the mediation of the, of the church. Uh, and uh, th- so this, um so this sort of disjunction between these two traditions is um like is present within the church as a whole but also within individual authors so like for augustine there's this uh, uh emphasis on the role of the church as an institution but there's also emphasis on the role of conversion uh and like he he gives um a very detailed autobiographical account of his own conversion to christianity um and so there's a sort of tension within his work uh, that reproduces the tension within the Christian tradition as a whole.
1: Yeah, this uh, this idea of procession sort of made me think of the in volume one the discussion of the uh, one of the one of the sections on the collective and um, Sealundon said there that the collective itself continues to individuate by. The incorporation of the pre individual shares of new members of the collectives, so maybe this would be one one way in which um, that could happen, and then the idea of the of conversion, which is kind of like a spontaneous individual salvation without mediation by the uh, community, kind of makes me think of i mean what what little I know about it uh, zen Zen Buddhism, the idea that everybody has this Buddha nature that can be have spontaneously and almost accidentally awakened, like in the you know, the Gateless Gate, there are all these strange um anecdotes about interactions that led to sudden enlightenment. Um or maybe even that in you know the section on anxiety in volume one where he suggests that there are ways in which uh you know the transformation that usually takes the collective uh, to happen can happen individually um maybe this would be another example of that uh this you know some kind of uh, totally individual um uh religious conversion through the understanding or through uh, i don't know maybe something supernatural
0: yeah that's a, that's a a good um reminder of um some of the points from volume 1 that are related here and it, it certainly seems like um simon leans more towards the side of the procession uh, account um, where um, the individual can sort of reach something beyond themselves, uh, this trans individual, uh, only through the collective uh, and, and through some sort of mediation through the collective. But at the same time, um, um, he, he also emphasizes uh, in other passages the sort of spiritual ordeal that is involved in, uh, forming a collective and, and, uh, sort of reaching the trans individual. Um, so it, it's not just that, you know, a bunch of people get together and decide to like form a collective that you sort of, um, achieve this access to the trans individual. Um, it, there has to be this sort of conversion within each of those individuals to form a real collective, um, and and so even though Simon Don sort of uh at at least at a first approximation leans more toward the the side of the procession and the, the role of the collective, uh there's still this individual aspect to the, this individual conversion um aspect to his account of uh collective individuation and the grasp of the trans individual.
1: I wonder if we could see this as another instance of a, a situation where two two extreme terms are kind of united in the middle through Simon Don's account. So there would be like a procession that's preceded by a conversion in the collective with the ordeal of solitude that leads to the, you know, uh, induction into the community.
0: Yeah, I think that, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, So in this sort of general schema of thought that Simon Don uses regularly is to, Present this opposition between two opposed terms uh and then try to find um an intermediate not in the sense of like a mixture of the two but like this middle point out of which the two opposed terms can be generated uh in in uh this sort of genetic um intuition that he uses as the sort of method- methodological principle of uh of his philosophical work uh so I think um I think there's um definitely um, there's definitely an aspect uh, or or uh, we can definitely try to understand uh Simon Don's account of collective individuation and of the trans individual as trying to find that middle point between these two um opposed accounts uh or opposed traditions within Christianity um, and uh, uh I think I think he takes it that these um opposed traditions within Christianity are each grasping something real or some aspect of the real um but uh only sort of partially or or they they have like a partial grasp on the real uh and uh and so there's um this need to grasp the the intermediate term or or the mediation between the two that will allow for um that will allow for uh both terms to be generated out of
2: it. As Angus pointed out, like uh, Buddhism really, uh, maybe yeah, it's kind of like a possible to think of the Buddhism because uh, um, there are two big branches in Buddhism as well. Like uh, uh, according to the way to uh, to to reach like the Buddha's, like the idea, like a uh, one is like a uh, more, more focus on personal meditation and then the other one is the other, the the opposite way so it's kind of interesting like uh in terms of religion not only crochet, but also other religions they have some kind of common points you know, i mean the i mean in terms of like the relation god so-called absolute being and then individuals and one more thing i noticed this maybe uh procession versus a conversion maybe that has to do with like a delusion. Breaks official versus like continue, so new genesis like a possible from not just like a continue uh procession but from the uh break breakage, break official like some kind of uh, I mean some some transitional moment to make uh, the continue to possible. Well, what what do you think?
0: Yeah, the point about um this sort of disjunction between um. A sort of um collective tradition and an individualist tradition um within buddhism is an interesting one um and i mean i i, I certainly am even less uh knowledgeable about you know the history of buddhism than i am about the history of christianity um but uh yeah there's definitely um um a sort of opposition between like the more uh collective tradition that that treats um monastic orders and um, belonging to the uh, a monastery and and uh, having this sort of collective position as as um, what is essential and then uh, as Angus pointed out the Zen tradition and, and maybe some other ones that um, that emphasize the way that the individual can uh, 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 achieve enlightenment um, and not by mediation through um, some sort of collective, like a, a monastery or or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think we could probably find probably in, in any religious tradition that you pick, you'll find um, both of these aspects present, uh, and you'll probably be able to um, like even zoom in further and like in particular authors or particular um, doctrines, you can probably find both aspects present and and this tension between these these two um, opposed present uh, in, in any religious um, text or, or doctrine. Um, on, on that second point about um, the, the Deleuzean um, sort of interpretation of this, um, I would say that, um, yeah, I, I th- so I think you're referring to um, the, the development in the logic of sense where he talks about the fissures um, and the, the crack up and, and so on. Um, um. I don't remember that stuff particularly well. Uh, it's been a few years since I since I read Logic of Sense. Um, but my 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 sort of uh, recollection is that um, I think what what's going on here is probably somewhat different. Um, in that for Simon Don um, he always wants to find this intermediate point or this point of mediation um between two opposed terms uh out of which those terms can be generated. Uh and I think that's a, a different sort of philosophical methodology than Deleuze's methodology, um, which uh yeah, I think um tries to find um uh I guess a a system of differences out of which uh something can be generated. Um that might be a, a sort of a oversimplification. Um but uh it it it's not based on finding this intermediate point in the way that Simon Don's work is. So yeah, I, I think um I would be sort of hesitant to try to like line things up between Simon Don's work and, and Deleuze's work, even though of course there's a a, a great degree of um influence from Simon Don on Deleuze.
2: Yeah, thank you. Much clearer. Thank you.
0: Right. Um I think this next bit is uh Actually, yeah, maybe maybe we should stop here because the next one is a couple of pages. Um, so, yeah, let's let's stop here. Um, n- unless anyone has any other questions or, or comments on what we've read today before we uh, close?
2: Well, it seems that I didn't realize that like, um, Semong Dong uh, studied this much. So his ideas are out of the blue. I mean, wow, it has like a really strong foundation. So it's amazing to check this part particularly thank you
0: yeah it's um yeah. like in the text itself in volume 1 of individuation there's very little in the way of um like citations or references to other authors um um so yeah it it sort of gives the appearance as if he sort of just sat down and and thought everything up himself um but uh um uh, we see in this text, of course, that he's developing these ideas in reference to uh, a philosophical tradition um, that, that he wants to um, uh, sort of continue. And, um, uh, and yeah, so he, he's uh, obviously very well um, versed in the history of philosophy uh, and he, he wants to um, conceive of what he's doing as a continuation of a philosophical tradition. Uh, So he he wants to treat his uh, account of the individual in volume one as uh, a development of these sort of contradictory aspects of the doctrine of the individual that appear, or these fragmentary aspects of this doctrine of the individual that appear in different authors throughout uh, the history of philosophy. And he wants to give a a sort of um,
1: coherent account uh, that fits together all these different fragments. Sense that, um, you know, he really... Sort of deeply engaged with someone like, you know, Rosalinas or Cassiodorus, or um, that he is getting a lot of this from the Emile uh, uh, Breyer book that he mentioned in an earlier section. I guess it's hard yeah, to know. It's, yeah,
0: I, I haven't read uh, Breyer's book. Um, so I don't know to what extent Simon, like he does um, mention that he's sort of following um, Breyer's history, but he. I'm not sure to what extent he um sort of follows it um like sort of line by line or or to what extent he uh is departing from it or adding his own thoughts and and so on like there are some passages that are pretty clear uh, pretty clearly um like simondon interpretation um as opposed to just sort of um uh, uh summarizing breyer's book um and there are other passages that Look maybe more like they they are like drawn from Bray. Um but uh yeah you i would I would have to like to do a, a a sort of um full interpretation of this text, you would have to go back to Breyer and like analyze right. where Simondon kind of um, interjects his own thoughts and makes his own interpretations uh in opposition to that text.
1: And in any case, as you said, he obviously has a very strong grasp of history, and philosophy. Yeah, and that, it, uh,
0: like, it's it's interesting that he chooses in writing volume one to sort of um, leave all of that out. Um, that he he you know barely refers to other philosophers, um, and uh, he writes just sort of um, uh, as if he's sort of um, generating these ideas out of out of. Uh, pure sort of observation or or pure thought Um, so it's an interesting sort of stylistic choice Um, it it does make things harder for the reader in some respects because we we have to sort of um, guess what he might be thinking of when he he's sort of alluding to a certain doctrine um, without like uh, explicitly saying what he's talking about Um, but you know that's part of the Part of the fun is, uh, trying to figure that out
3: is there a discrepancy because he cites more in in the work that he
0: does on on the
3: history of philosophy
0: um yeah, so I think this text like because it it's a, a sort of systematic history of philosophy where he's like going through each thinker or each school in in succession, you don't have the same um sort of uh, uh I guess. Um, guessing game to play where you have to figure out what he's referring to or or who he's thinking of in a, in a particular mm-hmm. passage. Like you have the section headings that the editors added in that um, that make that clear. <clears throat> make that clear. Yeah. Um,
3: the reason I asked is because I I was just wondering, kind of curious. I wonder whether that was a um, sort of demand during Simone's time to in like the the academic. Um, you know, obligation to do a lot of citing of sources. I I just wonder whether that was a quote unquote thing during when Simon wrote the first part. Um, yeah,
0: I think. Um, oh, sorry.
3: Um, well, yeah, I was also just going to add because there are times with uh, Deleuze's work or where people claim that he doesn't cite his uh, sources either too often.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh there's there's sort of different um citational practices like uh so what is now volume 1 of individuation was his was Simon Don's doctoral thesis or uh habilitation thesis um um uh or the the major thesis in in the French system at the time you had to present two theses uh a major and a minor thesis um and uh um so like it was sort of incorporated into the academic system of the time uh so even though he's writing in this style with uh, almost no citations it was still sort of part of the academic system of the time um uh but then like Deleuze is uh sort of a different case because he uses tons of citations um but uh yeah so sometimes he um He'll like rely on a secondary source without necessarily saying what he's who he's relying on, or he'll like um write in a way that he's like uh sort of alluding to a certain author um but without explicitly naming them. Uh um and I think yeah, I think the French um academic tradition of like say the nineteen sixties or, or late nineteen fifties was Pretty um, loose with citation practices. Like there wasn't a lot of um, uh, sort of enforcement of like you have to cite X and and you have to you know have a proper bibliography and everything, which uh, makes things kind of difficult for uh, for us studying these works later on. Um, I think there was sort of an assumption that everyone uh, who was reading these works would be like familiar with the intellectual context uh, and would just like know oh he's he's talking about x even if there's no like explicit citation um but for those of us who are reading from like a different um context and who don't necessarily have all that information available it uh it makes things uh more difficult sometimes
3: okay thanks
0: yeah okay um I think this is a good place to stop. Um, So hopefully the recording worked properly. I have to check that after. Um, But yeah, so thanks for coming out and uh, hope to see you next week.